Welcome to the 138th episode of the Young Turfs Podcast from the Viner Fourgate Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's podcast, we're talking about the Maryland football season in review. On this Thanksgiving weekend, happy Thanksgiving to all of you Young Turfs listeners out there. As the weekend winds down, so did the Maryland football season. But before we talk about, I guess, the Michigan State game... And the rest of the season as a whole, this podcast, as always, is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin party rental resource. Allied has what you need. Whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small luncheon, or setting up a street festival, Allied has the tents, chairs, linens, china, and other accessories that you are looking for. Wayne from Turf Talk has known Donnie at Allied since 1995. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, Maryland, and serving the entire DMV today, contact Allied at 301-986-0067 or visit them on the web at alliedpartyrentals.com. Jordan, there's no Terrapin rundown, but let's quickly talk about the Terps' three-point loss to the Spartans. What did you see today? Well, this was obviously the best effort the Terps have put out since those early season matches against teams like Rutgers and Syracuse. But uh, even in this, again, a valiant effort where you had a real chance to win the game, I struggled to find the positives in this because... Still, if Michigan State doesn't have the worst game, one of the or probably one of the worst games I've seen this season that a winning team has put out at least, then we're not in this game. You know, Michigan State missed two field goals. They turned the ball over. They were just overall sloppy. And really, in the end, they might have been more sloppy than Maryland, but they still were able to win the game. So it's great that we put out what looked like a better effort. The offense looked more like what I think a lot of Turk fans wanted to see. They really could have used that field goal that they passed up on in the first half and the end. But overall, it's an improvement, but it's still leaps and bounds from where it needs to be. Yeah, um, let's, let's not really sugarcoat this at all. This is a game that Maryland should have won. They had the opportunities to both put away Michigan State and to get up by... by um, multiple scores at one point in this game, but they weren't able to cash in on those opportunities. And it resulted in another loss, but you can't really complain. And this is why I do think this was positive. You can't really complain about the effort. I mean, it would seem to be there. They seemed to want to win the game. They didn't look like they were um, napping on the field or, or not giving a damn about the result of the game. It looked like they really wanted to win the game. I think they played... For once this season, the guys that showed the effort in practice, and I think it showed on the field. And if Loxley learns anything about that from this game, then I consider that a win. You know, you got to put the guys out to give you the effort. Uh, Fanange Gote, obviously being one of those guys, number 23, swarming around the field, a lot like uh, Antoine Brooks does. Those are the guys that need to be out there. Um, one thing that we did not see, I believe, Ayende Ely and uh, Chance Campbell saw no time in this game. It was all. Um, Gote number 23, and and Isaiah Davis. Isaiah Davis, one of those guys that um, it looked like his time in College Park was done. Not not the best season from him this year. No, disappointing season for Isaiah Davis, among many other players. Um, Josh Jackson, even in a decent effort from the team overall, had um, was still maybe the weak point of the team. 11 for 27 with 141. And a very ugly interception. A couple other passes that could have been picked easily. A ridiculous fumble. Oh, 
I fumbled the head us almost on the floor laughing just with the it just this see that's maybe the season for those of you who saw the Joker movie that it's like at the point where you're just considering your the team a comedy more than anything else it's not even a tragedy anymore it's just like of course that happens and of course it looks ridiculous and of course I don't even know how you could replicate that at home if you wanted to it's just frustrating to watch Anthony McFarlane though had his best game of the season I actually really do think that might have been his was that his high rushing yards in the season possibly. Regardless, he, he ripped a few against Syracuse. Uh, Anthony, I mean, he's been hurt. It's it's one of those things where the guy's been injured. I mean, today was the first day that he's looked like Anthony McFarland, and even after every long runner kickoff return that he had in this game, um, Coach Brooks and I, I guess in in larger kind of perspective, Loxley and the and the medical staff had to pull him off the field almost every time. I guess he was on kind of a pitch count, you know. You're looking at a guy who, at his maximum, had 25 rushing attempts in a game. That that came against Temple. Only eight touches today, over 100 yards. It's just every time Maryland seemed to move, move the ball, especially on the ground, they would go back to the ground, you know, two, three times, and they would go nowhere. And we did just confirm that was Anthony McFarland's high in the season. Uh, Dante Dimas is third highest as well as 96 yards. Maybe... I'm not going to say maybe. This is what the offense should have looked like. Once we realized that our scheme wasn't working, maybe in week five or six, you should have switched to something that looked more like this. And I know that's not saying... They didn't switch anything. What do you mean? They didn't switch anything. It, it was it was a better showing of what we've seen all year. It was sweep runs to the outside, zone inside handoffs, which is what they've been running all year. And a few of their... um. I guess at this point, you're right, their adjustment might have been with Josh in there that they're not really RPO plays anymore. They're just straight slants over the middle. The play that I believe they're alluding to or alluding to um, in this game had to be the, the pass, the deep ball they threw to Dante Dimas. I, I don't understand why that play has been used, I don't know, probably six times. It might be a, a pass play that is, I'm going to go with they've thrown that ball 15 times and they're 7 for 15 on it. That is kind of what I mean. They schemed more Demas more into the game. Ant-Mac, I think maybe the difference really was Ant-Mac was just performing better on the ground, though, and it opened up the pass game a little bit more. But Demas went from having three straight games with one reception to, what was it? I'm going to double-check. I think it was five or six. This one, seven receptions this game. They used the talent, I think, better and more efficiently in this game, and it was steps in the right direction to something we'd like to see in the future. But I don't really have anything else to say in this game. It was a blown opportunity for the team to go out on a high note. Um... Michigan State played really badly, and they managed to get to a bowl game, so I guess good for them, though I really don't like Michigan State. Um, but overall, disappointing end to a disappointing season, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, it, you can't really say they should have given the ball to Demas any more than they did this season. The guy dropped slam passes for interceptions for touchdowns like the one in Minnesota, fumbled in this game. It, it's, it's like they just didn't know what to do this year. You know, you have receivers... And I was just talking about this with Wayne during the game. You can probably go back and look at Maryland game, uh, Maryland season from about the Penn State game on, and and you can find a handful of these slant plays or dr the dropped wheel route by Anthony McFarland uh, when he was going into score against Purdue. You can probably find I would say ten plays where you can say if the receiver caught the ball, if if you know they held on to the football, if they didn't fumble it there. You, you would have found this team. I would say winning one or two more games. I mean, they've had such season-defining plays, especially to start games. Javon Leak's fumble last week against Nebraska, that's a tone setter, especially after 
you know, Maryland seemed to be in the game making a stop. It just, it's it's kind of like a lost, it's a lost year. I mean, you go all the way back to Temple, they should have won that game. Penn State, they completely dropped the ball. You can just keep going on and on and on. And you can point to spot after spot where this team had opportunities on national television in front of large home crowds to, to make a name for themselves and to and to start this Loxley era off the right way. But that kind of segues us into into the whole season. And it's it's really just a it's a dropped opportunity. And we can talk about the effort uh, that the team gave, especially down the stretch from about that Indiana game to to today and really get into it. But just a really upsetting kind of fall from being the number 21 team in the nation to being a team that finishes 3-9 and nine with, of course, a three-point loss to finish it off in a game that they – another one that you can put in this they should have won category. Yeah, and that really is the narrative for Maryland's season this year. It was kind of a fall, even going from before the first game of the season when we saw – you. Okay, all offseason, all summer, we were just getting barraged with nonstop hype, and a lot of it was our own fans generating it, so it's not totally, it's not on the team for this or anything. Well, no, no, it was not national hype. It was... No, but it was hype for us. It was local hype. You were not, whether anyone's going to admit it or not, there was nonstop, if you were on Terrapin Twitter, nonstop praising this coaching staff, being hyped up that this is a Maryland staff, we're going to do it the Maryland way, we're going to finally lock down the DMV and the locked in and all that stuff was just relentless this summer, and that's good. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do as a team, as a marketing department for the team. You're supposed to promote the brand, and they did that extremely well, and it might have backfired a little bit as the season went on um, because Howard Syracuse, the hype just kept building. By the time we got to the Temple game, the hype for Maryland football around here was something I had never seen before in my 21 years. Really, I don't think I ever had seen that much hype going into that game and the Penn State game kind of just rolling into that. Because we were number 21, we scored 79, 63 points, and we were going to play Temple, and even if we lost Temple, which we did, we all know that, we were going to come home play Penn State in the biggest game in Maryland Stadium since I don't even know when. And Yeah, probably since they played Florida State in 2010, or Miami to start up the Randy Etzel era. That probably would be the Miami, the Red Etzel era is probably the right answer for that. Um, and we all know what happens next. We laid an egg, and I think at that point, they're, the hype just hit a wall. I mean, reasonably so. We lost 59 nothing. We got hammered at home. And from there on, it was just a non-stop slide, save for that Rutgers game. After that, things just fell, fell apart for us. And I'd never seen... A t- it wasn't like a gradual fall either. After that Penn State and Rutgers game going into Purdue, it, it was a... I don't even know what to call it. It was like diving off a cliff, Mason. Yeah, um, you, you look back at, I think, the Temple game, and I'm going to say the Temple game is the high point of the season. I mean, it, it was great, even though I did not make it there. That was kind of my low point of the season. But you had so many Maryland fans. I mean, you can talk about Ben Page and the Old Line Tailgating Club, and a shout-out to uh, the Old Line Tailgating Club getting 5,000 kids to the Howard game, getting uh, a great tailgate on all season. Got to go to two of those this year. Uh, as always, props to him and props to his group for doing for doing great work, uh, getting kids out to both Maryland football and Maryland basketball games. As always, can uh, donate to them at oldlineclub.com. Um, we're going to need those 5,000 kids again next year for that Towson game, our, our uh, home opener, because I, I do not think many people are going to be in line to see this 3-9 team or a team coming off a 3-9 season next year. 
But a great, great job by, by Turp Nation to get up there to Philly. Uh, that's why they schedule that game. I think they should stop scheduling Temple, uh, given the past two seasons. But that, that was my high point. Um, and I meant to throw this one up on Twitter, but I never did. I have a picture from field level looking at the student section um, before the Maryland-Penn State game kicked off. Completely packed, raucous atmosphere. And then I have one from... Uh, before the Nebraska game, the two Maryland games I've been to this year, it just the the change in in scenery and college parks been it's been something. But you can you can sit here and talk about that all day. You know the chance that Maryland had against Penn State, FS1 at night, a lot of people watching that around the country, given that it was the only game being played at that time, given that it was supposed to be a close game, and just an absolute failure to to show up. You know. Before the season started, there was a big movement to, to pack the shell. Maryland did that. Maryland sold the stadium out. Sixth largest crowd in the history of Maryland Stadium. And, and they failed. That, that's kind of the point of the season. You fall to a 2-2 two and two team. You get a high of 65 yards from Josh Jackson. And an absolute mess of a performance by him. 24 from Anthony McFarland and 18 from Dante Dimas. Those are offensive leaders in that game. It, it was just ridiculous. It hurt to watch that game. Yeah, it really did. And that's, I think, maybe the most frustrating part of the season for us. And there's more to talk about. But this is something I really want to make sure I get to before we get too far into this. From every other perspective, from marketing, from fan interest, from uniforms, everything was set up so well this season. For all the crappy good athletic department, they did a great job promoting this team this year. They got everybody in for the show. Uh, by that, I mean they sold out the Maryland-Penn State game with a majority of Maryland fans. That's not easy to do. We all know that. They got the hype built. It was so perfect. Anthony McFarland for Heisman had a great start. Josh Jackson looked like a star in the first two games. And the fact that everything fell into place. The students showed up. The fans showed up. It was fun. And they just, everything showed up but the team. The one thing that absolutely had to work for the season to uh, work for the Maryland area, the Maryland fan base, the Maryland brand... Just didn't show up. Week after week, they had a chance. Even even going into the Indiana game, there was still some on a little bit of buzz around this program that there was those first two games, and we beat Rutgers, and we could be eligible this season, and we could start to fix it after the tragedy of Jordan McNair of the last season, and even just the last decade. And I think the Maryland Decade podcast was almost definitely coming from us soon, but to, I guess, preview it, the Maryland football decade has been... I believe the worst one on record. We only made bowl games three times. All of them were six and six, seven and five. We didn't win a single one. Um, it just was a mess. That's of... not no. They won with Danny O'Brien. That was 2000, uh, 2010. Sorry, my bad. Then we won it four times. Won once. I apologize. That was the best season we had. We finished like twenty fourth. Um, even so, that definitely helps a little bit, but not a ton. This was still a mess. This big time transition has been a disaster for football. I don't see any other way to frame it at this point. I just, I don't even know what to say. This was a disappointing capstone to a disappointing decade. And uh, that's what I got to set the table, Mason. What do we got next year? Next year's not part of this decade. Next year's part of a new decade. 2020. Well, I got next year to fi- figure it out before the 2010 season's completely out of the 10 year range. Oh, yeah, I, I guess so. And, yeah, this I guess that's what I have to look at. That's the only positive way to frame the season is looking ahead to next year and saying, well, maybe we figured out the kinks and can do better next time. Yeah, but how can you say that? I mean, 
not to go off on, on everything that was done here, but everything that was done here was wrong. You had three and nine with a team that people expected uh, to win. I mean, that, let's look at this realistically. People expected to win against Howard, Syracuse, Temple. Uh, there were a lot of people in the Maryland community that Penn State with a new quarterback, they almost lost to Pitt, Maryland. There were a lot of people thinking they were going to win that game, but let, let's count that one as a loss. You you were then to beat Rutgers. The way Purdue was playing, you should have beaten them. Everybody expects to beat Indiana. And then Nebraska. The way they were playing. Going into this season, there was a realistic look that this team, with all the hype, with Loxley, with Scotty Montgomery, with John Hoke, were, was going to be at least a 6-1 team. And then the way the season started, especially those first two games, you can even throw in a third one, people expected this team to win, especially with the outlook they had. I mean, if you look at what what Maryland was to do, I'm going to say preseason. And we're talking inside the Maryland community. I know nationally they had this right. The over-under for Maryland wins was three and sometimes four, and they got three wins, and they had a shot at four. So you're almost exactly in the right place there. But if you look at the inside Maryland perspective, even after the Penn State game, there was a large amount of people that expected to beat Rutgers, they expected to beat Purdue the way Purdue was set up, they expected to beat Indiana because you would have thought you had a roll-on going into a home game against Indiana, and then, you know what, the way Nebraska and Michigan State were playing, e even going into those two weeks, or even going into Nebraska, you, you expected more out of, the, out of Maryland. You can almost point to every game on this schedule and say, you know what, we expected more out of Maryland. Yeah, and I think that's reasonable. And look, I've always, uh, I don't know why I've hammered this home so much, but I really feel like it's been relevant this season. Maryland fans are just tend to be over optimistic from what I've seen. Despite all the negativity we put out, I think we expect, to be, expect more than maybe we should sometimes. But it's not unreasonable to expect six ones out of the schedule. Yes, Indiana and Temple and Minnesota all played way better than they're supposed to this season. But I don't really think Temple did. No, Temple may be played maybe part for the course with eight wins in the AAC. They're a good program. Maybe a better program than we are at this point. I actually think they definitely are. But still, you can get six wins out of this. And I think one of the reasons this was so frustrating to watch, well, there's a, a big, maybe bigger picture one that I'll get to later, but the one I'll focus on now is there was the argument that this is not as good as this roster can play. Your job as the head coach of the team, any coach of the team, is to get the most out of your players. Even if your players suck, get the most out of your sucky players. And I don't think these players suck, actually. I think these players are more talented than they played to, which is even more frustrating because then you have to ask why aren't they playing to their max potential, or even, for some of these guys, it feels like even 75% of their potential they didn't reach start this season. You're telling me that these four and five star, or like one or two, five, but four and high three-star recruits can win three games in the Big Ten. They can, they're going to lose to Purdue by 26 points or that much, or 26 points worse than Purdue. You're, okay, maybe this one's, you're not, maybe you are 59 points worse than Ohio State. No, you're not. That's garbage. Don't even try and tell me that. 59? They lost 73 to 14. You're really going to tell me. You're really going to tell me. The only score that I can point to and say that is right on this schedule is Maryland beating Rutgers 48-7 to and Maryland losing to Michigan 38-7. to That's it. Yeah. And no, the 19-16 to is trash too because both those teams should have scored more points than that's the way they were playing. Or the way they're supposed to play. 
You're really going to point to... No, don't even look at the 34-28 to because you know we should have won that game too. The man hits the guy in the hands, we score and we win. Instead, he throws it straight over his head, it's an interception. We made their season by winning that game. You know what? They have a sign, and I love talking about this sign in there, that says, make the other team quit. You know what? We quit more than the other teams, so maybe we should just take that down. Now you got me started. You see? You had to say stuff like that. Well, it's true, and that's right. I'm saying it's frustrating because we know these players are better than that. And to the players that listen, because I we kind of know for a fact at some at this point that some of these players do listen. Here's what I gotta say to you guys. I'm not gonna be super vindictive or mean because some of these guys on Twitter, geez, you guys need to you guys need to chill out a little bit. But you guys, if you that's your two options, either you guys aren't as good as you think you are, or you guys didn't play your potential this season. And I know some a lot of the players on this. Or team, that's not even the beginning of it. Or maybe I'll quit too much, and that's what's wrong. Well, yeah, that's the other option. Either you guys quit, you're not being coached well, which I really hope isn't the case, because then we got a much bigger problem that we're going to have to address down the road. Or they're just you guys just aren't that good. And I really don't think it's the first two. I think there are some issues on this team that can be fixed. That's, I think, my hope for next year. A lot of the things we saw this year can be fixed. And I don't know who's going to be coordinating or assistant coaching this team tomorrow or the next day. If you if you rock through the administration being a little bit generous, you give an extra day and maybe some heads up. But whatever the case is, this team they need you need to get more out of these players next year. That is undeniable. I don't know how else you can put it. The recruiting situation right now is something that Mason knows a lot more about than I will, and we can get to that later because I don't think it's really important right now. Yeah, we will. We'll talk about that by the end of the show. Uh, I can guarantee you, if you're listening to this uh, tonight, before all the breaks, there will be movement on this staff. I've heard it from multiple people. I mean, at this point, everybody with, uh, I would think, that thinks about this, sits down and thinks about it for about, I don't know, what, 30 seconds, can look at the record, look at the scores, and say, yeah, they're going to fire some people. Th- that is in the works. I do not know when it will be officially announced, but it- it's going to happen. Um, and I think back to what you were saying, Jordan, uh, this season's been... It's just a disgrace. I mean, it really has been. You can go 3-9, and nine and people can say, okay. This team, on the other hand, should have not gone 3-9. and nine. We look at the pure effort that they played with, and it is just... It's just terrible. They didn't get a yard, a singular yard, against Temple. They needed a yard to win that game. More than once. And they didn't get it done. Then they go out against Penn State. They get punched in the mouth straight off. Okay, you know what a good team does when they get punched in the mouth? They punch back. And what does Maryland do? They throw an interception on, like, the three-yard line. Uh, I believe they threw a ball to Tyler Mabry. It was a back shoulder fade. And it was just, it was wrong. I mean, Josh was completely flustered. The team couldn't block anybody. Then they just gave up. And then you beat Rutgers. Rutgers had just gotten, um, I still can't say the guy's name. I believe his name is Campanero. Uh, I don't know. The coach had just gotten fired, Chris Ash. Uh, they, they moved on to to a uh, completely new system from then on that did not work for them. And, and then it was just straight, just lack of Maryland pride. Everything they talk about, maximizing it, turp toughness, um, making the other team quit, fighting hard, it, it just wasn't there. I don't know whether, and we can talk and talk and talk about the stylistic change between Rick Court uh, Matt Canada and DJ Durkin to Mike Loxley, uh, Ryan Davis, Coach Fly, those guys. 
Uh, I think they do a great job, frankly. I think they're much more positive-minded. I think they're much, much better at getting this team in the... Well, I don't even know if you can say in the right... They were in the right mindset going into the season. I don't know what happened from then on. But I, I like the Loxley way. I think it's a much better system for success after you're out of college than, than what Coach Durkin had. But you can talk about that all you want. That's all speculation. The, the answer is these guys quit. I mean, like it or not, against Purdue, I'll give them even Purdue. Purdue, they could have made a few plays and the score would have been a lot more different. Indiana, they played hard. They fumbled at the end. They, they threw an interception. They lost. From then on, there was just an absolute lack of effort. Minnesota, there's no way that Minnesota should beat Maryland 52-10. to Minnesota's a good team. I'll give them that. They've recruited well. they got a guy that's 6'9", 400 pounds. That's a Big Ten offensive lineman. But you look at the score, 73-14, 52-10. They lost 54-7 to a team that has now finished the season at 5-7. and You're really going to tell me these guys are that much worse? They were that, with two weeks to prepare, they were that unprepared that they lost to Nebraska 54-7? Just lack of effort in some of these games, and it's just despicable because you have people that really wanted, I mean, everybody, as you said earlier, wanted and did like this team to the maximum level at the beginning of the season, and they just fell apart, and they really, I think, you can point to things with fan bases that do a lot of damage, and this is one of those things that just destroyed the fan base. I agree completely, and I think this is one of my big, I guess, grandiose points that I want to make before we might bring in some guests here to give their perspective, but one thing that I think frustrated the fan base a lot I kind of enjoyed it, but I think a lot of people got frustrated by this, is we saw other programs have what I call their moment in the sun. Like, they had, they achieved their goals however modest they were. Minnesota is, of course, one that everybody talks about right now. Um, even with getting hair by Wisconsin today, which really sucks for your Minnesota fan, because you've had it to the playoff in a Big Ten championship and you didn't make it, that really sucks. But they had their moment. They were 10-2. They had the best season in, like, we're talking like 50 years here. They beat Penn State and had their... Well, I can only describe it as someone in that general area as a glorious day for Minnesota fans. That was there. They broke through. People were texting. People were like calling their parents that I was working with, and their dads were crying because they finally won one of these games and they finally had their minute. Even if they knew it could fall apart next week, which it did when they lost to Iowa, they had their moment. They finally kind of topped the mountain. Indiana won eight games. That ties their school record. That's something you would not have expected this season. Virginia beat Virginia Tech and won the Coastal Division for the first time ever. Um, I had another one in here too, but I mean Illinois did it. Too. Illinois did they, it. They, yeah. made it. they lost today in a game that I, for the life of me, do not understand how they lost. But they did it. They won six games. Lovey Smith seems to have the program moving in the right way. You can point to all these teams, and then you're left at the end of the day with your, you know, same group of teams at the bottom. You can almost throw oh. Rutgers out. But Auburn, that's another one I was trying to remember. They beat Alabama today. Yeah, they they did not achieve. They no, did not achieve their goal. But they kicked Alabama out of the playoff. I mean, that's a pretty sweet moment to at least have. We, I feel like we didn't have our moment. We haven't had one in a long time now. Maybe you could point to being Penn State in 2014. That might be the last one you can say, like, that was really cool. And we well, did it. Michigan and Penn State that year. They made it to, you know, you might say this Big Ten thing's a disaster. Maryland's made one bowl in the Big Ten. I'll bet you could have found... You could have walked around that last ACC game that Maryland played, and you would have had half of those old guys that love saying all this stuff, saying Maryland's never going to make a bowl in the Big Ten. 
Maryland will never beat Michigan. They will never beat Penn State. And you know what? They still did some of those things. I hate to point out and say Randy Etzel did great things at Maryland as much as the next guy. But those two wins by themselves were huge for Maryland football. They haven't done anything with them. They haven't, you know, those games are now off BTN Classic, and you need some new ones to throw up there like Minnesota will have. But those two games by themselves, you can't really say this whole thing's been a disaster because they did things that I don't think, I think if you pulled a thousand Maryland fans, about 600 of them would have said Maryland will never win in the big house. Yeah, it's a fair assessment to make. It really feels like that right now again. But here's something I, for those who listened to Trap Talk this morning, hi, thanks for listening. Sorry we had some audio issues. But here's something that I said on there that I will stand by that I actually got nods from because it was just like one of the things like, that's shocking, but you're right. Randy Edsel has done the best job at Maryland this decade. If you don't count Ralph Friedgen, which you, I don't think you really can. Um, he has had the best, he's done the most success. His teams competed in the Big Ten. They won some games. They went to a bowl. They went to a bowl game. Oh, so Durkins. I just got thrown out. There. I know. DJ did bring him around. I know, but DJ also lost to Penn State and Ohio State by fifty plus points. Whether you're, I know it's weird to say, and it's, but it's one hundred percent true. That didn't happen regularly in the Red Yetzel. But that's that's my point. I'm the one that has told you that. Okay. And I know, and it's weird. He's had the most success, and I feel like we. We're in a worse spot at the, at the end of this decade than the beginning, and we're kind of getting into our next... Well, they're in a great spot at the beginning of this decade. Well, relatively speaking, yes. They were coming off of, now that this season is over, and you just pointed this one out to me, going into 2011, they were in such a great spot, regardless of how that season went. They had the newest uniforms, they had the flashiest look, they had this new coach that I don't know... I still don't know what they were doing hiring him. But then I will almost point to and say similar hype to now. I mean, yes, they won nine games going into Randy's first year. But look at where they were now. Back-to-back top 25 recruiting classes with linemen in them. Everyone likes to say Maryland had no linemen, but they were linemen in those classes. Sure, they weren't the guys on the top, but you had the Gaddies, you had uh, Lottez Rogers, you have um, Terrence Davis was a big recruit for Maryland, Evan Gregory, Jalen Duncan. I mean, these guys were near top-tier guys in those classes. And then you finally brought in a guy who who can coach. Loxley. The darkening days are gone. The days of suppressing these players in every way and, you know, doing all the terrible things that we heard, throwing weights at them, all that stuff is gone. They're bringing in a whole new program that's going to get these guys to the potential that they can, and that potential was near, if not, top 25 season. You agree with that, Jordan? They had the recruiting classes. That was the expectation going into these guys if they could get anything going. I don't know if top 25 might be. What's well, a near top 25? All right, I can say at least, okay, I'll back it up. I'll say you at least expect to get to a bowl game. And you had all that going into that. That's my final point on this. It really was a train wreck. At least we made it to number 21, had our, had our moment in the sun. But now you 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 got to go on and say how do you fix this, and that's where uh, that's where the transfer portal and and junior college football players will come in along with along with normal recruiting. Um, I had a conversation with Todd about this last night. It was the you got to hit the JUCO. You got to get some guys in that that will be sophomores and juniors and ready to play if you need them. And along with that, then you'll have a chance to bring in freshmen, give them a redshirt year, get them in the weight room, get them looking right and playing in your system, and you won't have guys out there in in the uh, spot that Jalen Duncan is in. 
which is being a redshirt freshman forced into Big Ten play as a tackle, um, you can jam a freshman in there at guard. But I don't really think that Jalen has had the proper... I mean, everyone loves to throw out... Um, uh, say Jalen Duncan's really a bad football player. He shouldn't doesn't belong out there. Uh, point to any of these major programs in college football and show me where the freshmen are. You know, Florida had a guy... He was a freshman. He's a guard. Maryland, he's now in the transfer portal. He got benched during the Georgia game. Show me these freshmen that last in offensive line positions. Isaiah Prince, that was the guy who chose Ohio State over Maryland. He went out there in the game, the whiteout game, the big boom to James Franklin's start at Penn State, where he really got the program rolling. And he's the one that they almost blame for that game. That's a freshman in the spot that Jalen Duncan's in. Those guys generally don't succeed, uh, whether they're redshirted or not. They need time to develop, and Maryland just doesn't have the depth right now to afford them that time. I mean, you had guys like uh, Spencer Anderson. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, you know, Austin Fontaine flipping sides of the ball. Brayon Gaddy being forced out there flipping sides of the ball during the seat or right before the season started, playing downs. That's just never going to work. Well, I think it's... I think that's true, and that's that's the way you go from here. There's certain areas need to be addressed. Offensive line play, of course, you kind of covered it. Um, quarterbacking is the big one that everybody wants to talk about, and there's reasons for that because, look, Josh Jackson had a great start to the season and had maybe the sharpest drop-off I've ever seen a Maryland player have. Yeah, I mean, Josh is one of the – I mean, we can talk about quarterback in a second. And I do have some points for that. Uh, defensive line has to be the next biggest one, though. Yeah, defensive line. You can win. Oh, my mistake for cutting you off. But you can win six games in this conference with Josh Jackson playing quarterback. I have no doubt in my mind that's the truth, and I'll explain why in a minute. The, the defensive line, though, you've got to do the same thing. Got to get some JUCOs in. You can't have, I mean, the loss of Adam McClain and then um, Iggy Waba, who's a guy who's supposed to be one of Maryland's best uh, edge rushers this year. The force for Keandre Jones and Shaq Smith to be playing defensive line, a position that neither of them are really meant for. Uh, and, and John Hoke's scheme, it was a complete disaster, really. They don't have the guys up front to be playing an NFL-level scheme. They don't have the guys really up front to be playing a Big Ten-level scheme. they got to get some big bodies in there. They're looking at some right now with Juco, and uh, they got some, you know, we have Ruben Hippolyte, who's an inside linebacker, who came on the show with us, and uh, another guy from down in Florida named uh, uh, Newton from from down in Florida. He plays a deep, strong side defensive end. We got to get some guys in front. I mean, Brett Kolka, uh, Oluwatume, uh, Kieran Howard. All these guys are gone out of this program. It's going to be about getting the next level guys, getting whatever you can. I guess at this point, out of um, Lutez Rogers and and uh, Gaddy. Gaddy's starting to get some more run. Number ninety eight. I think that is uh, Brandon. Um, getting some more run down there. But you're going to have to find some guys out of the transfer portal and JUCOs to fill those spots in, give you kind of a patchwork team for next year that can that can fill some gaps. But you got to find something. Now, the reason why I say that you can win six games in this conference with Josh Jackson, which I know will be Jordan kind of gave you a face when I said that, is um, I just believe it. it. The man had no time to throw the ball constantly, was hit all year, and he's not a guy that, that can be hit all year. There are quarterbacks that are meant for that. You're Ben Roethlisberger size guys. Guys that can take hits. Josh Jackson, not one of them. It's probably his least... I mean, you can see it's his least favorite part of playing football is taking those hits. And no, he might not be the biggest, toughest guy you've ever seen, but he's also, I don't think, as bad as we saw. You know, when he starts to get hit, and I know he's a football player, he needs to live through the hits. 
he just the season went down for him when he was hit hard and and he's a quarterback that's meant to have four or five seconds to decide plays and and I feel like he was almost putting an offense that's a snap decision offense, it's an RPO offense, it's a quick slant offense. But he's not right for the system. They don't have a guy that's right for the system other than Lance, and Lance isn't really ready to go. I think next year they really need to buy into him. Um, I think next year there's not really a role for Josh. You know, we just talked about this, what the Ravens did. They have Lamar Jackson, they have RG3 as a backup. Maryland needs to go into next year, and Tyler DeSue is a guy that can run. I don't know why they don't like Tyler DeSue. He's a guy that can run the ball. It's got to be Lance as your starter and Tyrell Pigram or uh, Tyler DeSue as the backup. I get a guy that can run, recruit a quarterback that can run, just like Lance can, and let's stick with the system here because having Josh Jackson and then Tyrell Pigram as the backup did not work. Piggies can't run the plays that Josh can, and Josh can't run the plays that Piggy can. Look, I, I agree, and the quarterback position I also agree with. You need to put Lance in. He, if he's the future of the team, that's great. I don't think Josh really has a role here next year. I agree with that. I think you stick with Piggy because he's stuck with you at this point. That might just be me being an old-school loyalist sometimes, but that's really what I think. Um, he, but Lance is a starter next year. I think that's a pretty apparent thing to most people around the program. Running back, you have no shortage running backs. Um, Ant Mac probably be back after the season he had, which kind of sucks for him. And if he decides to go, that's also okay. Um, we got more running backs coming in. Never. Yeah, Ebony Jackson and Penny Boone, two of the two top guys in the class. Uh, Jackson from Georgia, uh, Penny Boone from uh, Detroit, Michigan. Um, receiver, I think we'll be okay for now. Defensive back was... I'm not going to say we, our weakest position because that's still the trenches, but it was up there. We got torched a lot this season. And that is, I think, for me, that is one of the highlighted areas of need that actually needs to change if you want to be competitive going next year. Yeah, Corey Robinson, not really a guy that I expect to be staying with the program. Uh, he, he had some talent coming into the season. Uh, Tino Ellis, unfortunately, he has season cut short. Marcus Lewis. Is Tino Ellis coming back next year? No, Tino Ellis played more than four games. He will not be coming back next year. Uh, he was hurt during the Purdue game which I believe was game number five. No, that's unfortunate. Uh, guys that will be coming back next year, though, are Terrence Davis. That, that's a big gain for these guys. Big Another Big Ten size offensive lineman that's played in this league. Um, but you got to find some guys there, too. Uh, Deontay Banks, Levante Gator, guys that you really did not want to be playing. They do have, you know, Tarheeb Still, Banu Braid. You know, they got some guys um, in, in the recruiting class, but these are, again, they're not five-star guys. They are... Uh, guys that you want to get in here and develop. I completely agree with the program that does that. I like Maryland's recruiting class. They're not chasing stars. I feel like they're scouting guys that they want to get, and they're getting them. Maybe not as many of them as they wanted. Maybe not every guy that they wanted. But they're getting guys that I feel like they go out and they scout and they look at and they say, this is a good guy for our program. He's going to fit what we want to do. He's got the right attitude. They're not chasing stars. It's, it's a definitely a different look. And going forward, you know, if you talk about the defensive backs, it, it was a mess. They don't turn their heads on deep balls, which is something that aggravates Maryland fans to the to the tenth degree. But it, it's a program that that's going to need some work, and especially when you're looking at the defensive backfield, they lost um, a guy that they were expected to be the third corner going into the season, Ken Montgomery, and then they immediately lost Kenny Bennett as soon as uh, Tino went down, and that happened against Penn State. You were only left with Marcus Lewis out there. It was a mess, and it was a mess early on, and it was a mess late in the season. You know, 
Today in the game against Michigan State, they made some plays. They had some easy interceptions for guys like Marcus Lewis and uh, Dante Banks finally showed up, made a great play, and then immediately got hurt after it. But, yeah, you know, at least some of these guys got some run in Big Ten play, but yeah, Marcus Lewis and Tino Ellis being your two-stop guys are not going to be here next year. Kenny Bennett looked nowhere near. Uh, he got benched, actually. He was benched for Deontay Banks. So uh, I don't know what the look's going to be next year from there. Another spot that you're and really my main spot that I'm looking to add a transfer in because you can get guys like J.C. Jackson that were plug-and-play there and Marcus Lewis himself. All right, um, I think we said about we said enough about this season. Uh, you got any final thoughts before we do a wrap up here? Yeah, um, this isn't n- next year. It is going to be a tough year. I mean, you're looking at the schedule. You play Towson, NIU, uh, West Virginia in your non-conference. Uh, I'm thinking they can force three wins there. West Virginia, a team that. Uh, had had an almost equal year in Maryland. They were able to scrap together some more wins, but they were also more injury-free than the Terps were uh, this year. They ended up five um, 5-1 team, ruining TCU's uh, bowl eligibility in the last week of the season on Friday. But those are your first three games. And then after that, you know, we play Minnesota, a team that I really I expect them to kind of stay on the track that they are, but they also were a 6-win team or a 7-win because they won the quick lane bowl Two years ago, and Maryland was able to dominate them. Maryland able to beat Minnesota a fair amount of times. I'm going to kind of slate that one as a loss. I think that I don't think it's going to be the same kind of landslide that it is uh, that it was this year. And then you got your usual suspects. But the end of the season next year is an absolute mess for the Terps. They play at Michigan, Ohio State, at Penn State, and at home against Michigan State in a row. That'll be a brutal four week stretch. You also got uh, our favorite crossover opponent, the Wisconsin Badgers, coming into College Park. There's. There's room here. I mean, I think they can scrap together six wins if they look right, if they get the right guys. But it can also be another three or two win year if if this team isn't, you know, if they don't add some transfers. They really got to hit the JUCOs. I, I would rather have JUCOs than uh, grad transfer guys. JUCOs stay around longer. They are generally guys that have gotten into trouble at other programs. But I think that um, that's what we got to get, especially up front. All right. Here's my um, last thing for us on this podcast, Mason. Um, I'll go first here. Actually, I'll let you go first. Your top three favorite moments of the season and your one worst moment of the season. And it might be easier to do that backwards, but I'm trying to get some positivity before we end here. You know, I'll do, I'll do it backwards. I think my worst moment of the season, the loss against Penn State. The best moment of the season, or the best two, I had to say it was a turf crowd that showed up at Temple and then the the support that Maryland, I guess, felt or that I felt for Maryland during the before the pregame of the Penn State game. Great tailgate parties out there. Great, great attendance of that game. Just, I think it was a great moment for Maryland football. You know, regardless of what it was, what it looked like in the fourth quarter, regardless of what it what it really was, it, it had to be a great moment for this for this program. It had to show these guys, and I don't know what they took away from that. I don't know who the leaders are in the locker room, what what that kind of setup was. But I know that I would be in there, and I know that there are guys that I think were in there saying, you know, even though that we lost today, and they lost by a terrible amount that, that night, Look at what we can get out of the school. Look at everybody come and support us. Come out here and you know have a lottery for our tickets. Maryland has a absurd number for the size program that it is and the size stadium that it plays in of student tickets to to have all those you know have force a lottery system for I believe it was the second time since Maryland has instated that and to have that was just it's a great moment for your program and whether it turned out right or not. It seemed to be the worst time. It seemed to be the worst result I've ever seen in a moment that big for a program. Um, 
But I think this last moment of the season against Michigan State gives Coach Locksley something to look at, say these guys really didn't quit on me. We were still in this last game. We made things happen, you know. And he says that he's made a lot of changes and it just didn't show on the field. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt till after next year. You know what? I, I'm behind this guy. I think that he's bringing in a good set, set of kids. And if you can pull some JUCOs in, find some find some guys uh, that he that he's developing, like an Evan Gregory or Jalen Duncan. I think Jalen Duncan, on the other hand, does not deserve all this hate. He's developed a lot over the season. We can we can kind of scrap something together for next year. Maybe get six wins. It's going to be a lot of what who gets fired. You know what the coaching turnover looks like and and what recruits they're able to keep. For I'll do the same thing. I'll do it backwards to end on a positive note. The worst one, of course, was the first half of the Penn State game. I, I personally carved out some stuff for that. I and I was so excited going into that game, and I was so hyped up, and um. I just, it was just, I mean, it was, it was for me what it was for everybody else. It was just a, it was like watching the Titanic sink for me. I think a lot of you, it was just watching, it was watching our hopes and dreams just get outplayed in front of us. And, um, my best moments for me personally, um, going to the Minnesota game was a lot of fun. Even though we lost, it was cool to see the stadium, it was cool to see the fans so excited over there. And it was a really great experience, even though we lost. Again, super nice people, nicest fans I've ever met. Um, other positive ones, the, during the Syracuse game, while we started blowing them out and our offense looked elite and we started, it's just people on Twitter were just like, wait, wait, Maryland is doing that. That was a really cool moment to just see us have the national spotlight for a little bit, just for a half really, but have the national spotlight and people say, no, well, that program looks like it's going the right way. And I'll say my top moment was the day after the Syracuse game, I was at my internship in my office, and the head SID at North Carolina State actually walked in and said, just said, wow, man, your chirps are really killing it this year. They might have a shot. Um, maybe it's causing some noise. And just that moment of validation that we're going the right way, and I'm going uh, back to Maryland next week, and we're going to beat Temple and go into the Penn State week, again, for me, was a really cool moment. And that's, I think, what you have to take this, that's a view for the season, I guess. You have to be willing to take the small moments. And as Wayne keeps saying to everyone who's a Ravens fan right now, I think it applies to everybody, enjoy your high points while they last because you never know what's going to happen right after this week. Yeah, and it's just been a lackluster year, and I think that's the best place to leave it. Um, there were there were some good moments this, this, this season. I won't say that a lot of them, that a lot of the, that any of them lasted very long, but there there was belief in this program, and I think that they can get it back going the right way. It's going to be a lot of work for Loxley and whatever parts of the staff remain. Again, there will be turnover. Not exactly sure who, not exactly sure when, but there will be turnover with this team. I can assume at least one of the coordinators will be gone. I'm thinking that's going to be on the defensive side of the ball, but who knows what what the look the outlook is? But you know, it's about writing the ship now. Uh, we're, we're in this. We're into year two of Loxley now, and trying to get his program, his program going. The best thing we could do is support them. You know, it, it, it was one year. This this happens to a fair amount of coaches. It, it either goes like this or it goes pretty triumphantly. There's very few times that you have a Durkin-esque first year where you go six and uh, they were six and seven, and you make a bowl game. But you know, moving forward here, we're going to have to figure some things out, but we'll see how the recruiting pans out. I think that that will be the biggest sign of how long and, and what kind of career Lox is going to have in Maryland because there's a lot riding on next year. 
Again, thanks for making it a great year. Thanks for uh, listening, following along with us throughout the year on Twitter, as always, at YoungTurp1. And, and we'd like to thank our sponsors that make it um, possible for us to do this podcast. As always, Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin Party Rental resource located in Beltsville, Maryland. As always, for all of your party rental needs, you can visit them at AlliedPartyRentals.com and Viner Four Gates in Rockville. For all of your IT needs, big or small, Viner Four Gates is your place to go. Located in Rockville, Maryland, you can reach them at 301-251-2900 or on the web at the number one Viner.com. Now it's basketball season. We'll be back with a full podcast after tomorrow's matchup between the Marquette Golden Eagles and your Maryland Terrapins. The one of the best players in college basketball will be on the floor. Maybe two of the best college basketball players in the country will be on the floor tomorrow. One of them being, of course, the electrifying Marcus Howard for uh, Marquette and the other one, Anthony Cowan for Maryland. We'll be back for the full re- recap of the Orlando Invitational and a lot of the final uh, numbers this year for some teams on the Terrapin Rundown next podcast. And as always, thanks for listening.